0: According to D. Blaine, the social determinants of health monitor health in terms of the basic dimensions of its social variation, examining it in relation to its wider historical and cross national contexts, investigating the processes by which hazards and benefits cluster cross sectionally and accumulate, accumulate longitudinally, and understanding how psychosocial factors are socially structured and the biological processes by which they affect health. So for this life course interview, I decided to speak to one of my neighbors, and I have known her since I was a child, since I was three years old, so over 20 years now, and she is such an incredible person. She is such a life force and has such a bright energy, and I knew that she's gone through a lot in her life, and I figured she would be the perfect subject for this interview, so Miss Deanna, as I call her, was born January 21st, 1947. Her birthday is usually on Inauguration Day. And she mentioned that depending on who is being inaugurated as president, she's excited for that day if it falls on her birthday. She was born in rural Pennsylvania, in York, Pennsylvania. She was previously married, only was married once to an Ellen Will Coxson. Um, She was married on October 11th, 1969. Her marriage lasted for 10 years, and they were divorced on December 19th, December of 1979. And actually, there was a blizzard during her wedding day, which um, is a little bit foretelling of how her marriage went. Um, She only has one child. Her name is Jana Renee. And she named her daughter this because while growing up, Miss Deanna's brother could never say Deanna, but he would always call her Jana. So that was her way of naming her daughter after herself. Miss Deanna has three master's degrees, one in education, another in mental health counseling, and another um, in school administration. She went to Millersville State College in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. She went to the University of Colorado Denver here in Denver, which you, know, you, you all teach here and I'm a student um, at the same university. And she also went to the University of Denver. Um, She experienced no interruptions during her schooling, but she did experience some life changes during that period. First, her mother had passed away. And then my uncle, who she knew before she even knew me, passed away during her um, certification in school administration. And so those were things that were hurdles for her, at least emotionally. But she never let that get into the way of her actually pursuing her education and finishing so she was a middle school administrator at dps she also worked for Aurora public schools as a school counselor in adams county district 14 as a teacher and when i asked miss diana what major changes she had experienced across her lifetime there were so many things that came to mind Um, not just personally but historically so primarily one of the first things that she can remember was being sexually abused as a child and she was lucky not to go through the negative side effects of such other than emotional um emotional despair at times but she never let that define her and um she actually found religion when she was in high school and so that was something that carried her through but um Going back to the religion piece, that's something that also really helped her learn about other people and be accepting of other people as times had changed. And one thing that she told me was that she remembers the women's movement. And that was one thing that inspired her actually to give her daughter birth control when she was younger. Just because she had seen during the women's movement during the 60s and 70s that women were actually fighting for themselves and actually trying to advocate for abortion and therefore safe abortion, um, legal abortion. And that's something that really stuck with her. And so she really wanted to make sure that her daughter was being safe within her sexual health and that um, she didn't have to go through the experience of getting pregnant if she didn't want to and having to go through an abortion. And that leads me to my next quote. Um the second wave women's health movement per Walters um the second wave women's health movement in the United States had its origins in the late 1960s when women's groups providers of health services and their allies organized to legalize abortion many of these groups soon engaged in other health issues as well establishing health health centers controlled by women and self-help organizations that advocated policy changes so that's definitely something that Miss Deanna lived through and had seen. She was inspired by that, obviously, to make sure that her daughter um, that her and her daughter's health were actually um, taken care of and that she was actually able to listen to her daughter and, and um, accommodate her needs based on what she had actually needed just because women for a long time weren't even um, encouraged to go to school or do anything like that. She mentioned how her stepfather um, and her mother told her that she shouldn't go to school, um, that it wasn't worth it for her because she was a woman. And, you know, if she wanted to go to school, then that was for her to find a husband and nothing else. So I think definitely one of those things is something that she had experienced across her lifetime. That was a huge change, just the status of women and um, women actually being open about their health and being able to um define what they needed and what they didn't need in terms of health and just in terms of life in general. I think the women's movement was just so incremental for women and I'm it's it's it was so crazy just to talk to her about it because it was really surreal knowing someone who actually grew up around that and was able to see women actually really speak up and and fight for what they needed and that's something that really inspires me because I am a feminist and I'm all about women's rights and women's health and women's dignity and that was just something that was really inspiring to me and I thought it was so cool that she actually gave her Um, actually got our daughter birth control because I mean, I know my mom for sure was someone who wasn't even sure about me getting birth control. My, my neighbor, Miss Deanna is a lot older than my mom is. (laughs) My mom's like 59. Um, but my mom was definitely a lot late to the game and it was on me to actually get my own birth control. And I didn't get birth control until I was in my twenties. And thankfully I wasn't involved with anyone at the time, but, you know, it just goes to show times have changed and times are continuing to change. But it's just so surreal being able to talk to someone who actually got to live during that time and see everything going on. I just feel so much excitement when I think about it. And mm, the other changes that she experienced across her lifetime were in regards to definitely attitudes towards ethnicity and immigration religion and spirituality so um and miss diana is definitely not proud of this history that she had but she always had some prejudices against people who were muslim and it wasn't until obviously times had changed and things had progressed in society to where we were having like broader conversations about people who were like muslim and what their religion actually meant um to where she was actually able to see the light And see that her prejudices were incorrect and she also really credited that to her students who helped her see that and and helped her realize where her wrongdoings were and one interesting um, thing that she also had mentioned is that she was a teacher a student teacher when martin luther king jr had passed away and she remembers she was like teary-eyed talking about it but she remembers That she was working in a mainly black and brown school, and a mainly black school. And she remembers when um, there was an assembly, and they had brought out a little TV and they were playing for the kids and letting them know that, you know, MLK Jr. had been assassinated. And that was another thing that she had experienced in her lifetime that definitely made an impact. On not only her health, a lot of her experiences are indirect. So it it, it it made an impact on her emotionally, but she can recognize that it definitely made an impact on people of color emotionally and physically because MLK was someone who definitely talked about health care for black people. And he was really... Um, just a a change maker, obviously. And I know that's one thing that was a part of his focus, even though that's not really discussed much in the media or in his broader, um, in the broader context about his life, but he was definitely for health for black people. And so she can recognize that too, that like when MLK was assassinated, like there was definitely this change in spirit and emotion mentally and physically amongst black people once he had passed away. Um, so in terms of her background, she was actually born poor. Both of her parents were laborers and they only had graduated from the eighth grade. She lived in an alley place, an apartment in York, Pennsylvania. And this was in the 1950s. Her mom was married the same year to her stepfather and, um, She remembers that there was an iceman to deliver ice to her family because they obviously refrigerators couldn't make ice at the time, which just kind of cracks me up because I'm so privileged to be able to walk to my fridge right now and actually be able to get some ice that's made by my fridge. And in 1952, she moved to Saginaw, Pennsylvania. This was when she was in high school. Um, they lived on a farm and she would help her stepdad with work on the farm. They didn't have running water. They didn't have a bathroom in the home. They only had an outhouse. And, um, after a while they actually had cold running water into their home, but they never had a bathroom again, only an outhouse. And even the outhouse, they didn't have proper toilet seats. And so she remembers her friends making fun of her for this and, Um, In the junior year of high school, they finally had, like, warm running water for her. Um, In 1989, they finally got a bathroom (laughs) with a bathtub inside the house. And she remembers working um, as a paper delivery person six days a week. And she also had a babysitting job Um, from junior high. She really had to provide for herself and had to buy her own clothes. And she'd often sell her own clothing. Um, Her mom's friend would um, sometimes sew clothing for her, too, as well, in particular poodle skirts, as we know, are very 50s type of um, type of skirt. And so what she told me about this stage in her life and how it impacted her health is that sometimes they had to go without certain things, certain luxuries that other people had that we now see as necessities today and um that definitely impacted her health. You know, friends making fun of her impacted her emotional well being. Um not having, you know, um a stable meal all the time or running water definitely impacted her health as well because, you know, um oh, where was I going with that? Sorry. <laughs> um just because it's um one of those things that was associated with poverty and obviously she was impoverished and we know within the social determinants of health if someone is impoverished then they're more likely to be unhealthy and so she definitely got went through some illnesses and things like that when she was younger just because her family didn't have enough money to you know um, give her like the basic quote-unquote necessities that we have nowadays and another major event in her life, and she doesn't remember much from this time, but she remembers when the polio vaccine came out, and um, she said that was such a game game changer for um, her generation just because, um, as you probably know, polio was a very intense illness, and obviously it caused... Um, it caused disability in children. And so she remembers actually being able to get the polio vaccine and how big of a deal that was at the time and how um, it was really seen as like a miracle almost in society, at least in the United States. And she also remembers having school drills for bombings and um, having to crawl under a desk and cover her head and things like that, which I've seen before in like history classes where they would show us old videos of people who um young children who would have to go through those drills so it was crazy hearing her say that just because it like came full circle to me and another major event when she was in high school was actually when president kennedy was assassinated and she remembers that day very very well she was a senior in high school she watched the news for hours that day and she stayed up all night and she remembers a teacher was just like running down the hall and they turned on a TV and that's when they found out that president kennedy was pronounced dead and i think that goes back into the broader um broader um subject i was mentioning earlier with dr king in a sense because i feel like every time society lost A figure like that someone of importance someone who actually brought hope to the world then it really took an emotional toll and I can only imagine like the health toll that it took as well because obviously Dr. King was involved in health even though we don't talk about it much obviously um, uh, Kennedy was involved in health as well even though again we don't really talk about it that much but I can only imagine like how once those people had departed this earth through their assassinations what could have been with their policies what like what what more could have um could have uh dr king done what more could have um kennedy done you know i that's that's what i always think about with social determinants of health i'm like if we didn't lose these people who were such historical social figures i wonder where our health would be socially in this country and she also remembers a year after um And I don't know if it's for sure a year after, but she remembers Bobby Kennedy's assassination. And um, so moving on from like historical events, one thing that really impacted her health was an injury that she sustained in 1980. This is like, again, nothing to do with history, but she remembers that she had fallen skiing and she actually blew out her left knee. And this has impacted her to this day. She's had a knee replacement, and she has a lot of trouble with mobility and actually moving around and walking and even exercising. And she said, once she blew out her left knee, it, everything just kind of went downhill. She was a very athletic person. She was very healthy. She didn't. She wasn't overweight. Um, she was able to move around and actually do things and have full mobility and then once she had fallen skiing and she hurt her knee she obviously gained weight and um, just became a little bit more unhealthy and I think that's something that I was really appreciative of her sharing with me just because I know how it is to be vulnerable especially when you're talking about gaining weight because it's a very hard personal thing like, I've gained weight and not because of, you know, um, me wanting to gain weight. It was because of something out of my control. And, you know, how can you know when you're skiing one day that you're going to fall and blow out your knee and then you're going to gain weight and actually go through that kind of hardship? And so that's something that, you know, follows her to this day. Like, I was talking with her and I was saying, I'm like, well, Miss Deanna, we can go on a walk together. We always walk buddy for like half an hour. Um, by the park across the street from my house and we'd obviously social distance because of coronavirus right now. Um and she loved that idea. She's like, I should really get out there and start exercising more. She's like, I just can't tell you how how just sluggish and I feel sometimes and how much weight I've gained and how literally just blowing out my knee really impacted my life and my health. And um again she's had a knee replacement. She's actually had to have a hip replacement because of her knee and not being as mobile and so I think her story is really interesting with social determinants of health not only because of the historical historical um nature of her life and what she's seen but also because of her own personal experience when she hurt herself and so I think that just goes back into the broader subject of social determinants of health. Like there are so many things that can impact our health, things that are out of our control. Like let's say someone hurt us when we were a child, you know, they sexually abused us. Someone, um, died when we were, you know, a teenager or whatnot, you know, we had to go through, um, bomb drills and things like that as a child. And we saw people be assassinated and things like that. And, um, I think At the essence of social determinants, you know, and this is something I struggle with, too, because oftentimes I have people tell me like, well, you know, if someone's unhealthy, then it's just their fault. Like, it's all on them. But at the same time, it's not like, yes, we have control over our lives. Yes, we have a certain amount that we can take control of and actually make a difference in but at the same time like some things are obviously out of your control and that's what I feel like social determinants are like you can't you can't just like wish to be born in a rich household and even though you're born into a poor one and that's going to impact your health and I think that's the most important thing that I realized with her story is that obviously like we have control over our lives but to a certain extent we don't and that's what i feel like people are missing when i mention social determinants of health and how that can impact someone's life course and everything like that um Whew. so two social determinants of health concepts covered in the class that emerge as relevant in this interview I would say one thing for sure is definitely um, socioeconomic status. Um, Just because Miss Deanna did not grow up in a rich household, she grew up impoverished and that obviously impacted her health. That impacted her in so many more ways than one. And it was something that definitely did define her. Um, Also being a female, like I mentioned earlier with women's rights and the women's movement, That's something that impacted her as well, like I mentioned. um, Just because of her socioeconomic status and being a woman, her family did not believe in her enough to actually support her to go to school. And she actually had to depend on other women to give her employment so she could actually go to school and pay for school. And so I think that's just one huge social determinant of health. And I think what's so amazing is now... I have a family that supports me going to school, even my own father and her own father didn't support her going to school. And she's in her 70s and I'm in my 20s. It's it's crazy how so much can change over like 50, 40, 50 years to where like now it's it's an acceptable thing at least here in the United States for women to actually be able to go to school despite being poor, you know, despite if they're um single and maybe you know their family wants them to get married and find a husband it's it's definitely a different world right now and I I appreciated her her um openness and honesty about that and actually just telling me bluntly what it was like for her growing up being a woman and being poor and having a family who wasn't educated because they didn't encourage her to get an education and That obviously impacted her because she was impoverished because her parents didn't have an education. Um, Another social determinant of health concept, I would say gender. Um, I can't think of a specific example in class where we've covered gender, like just on its own, in its own module. But I would say gender for sure. And I feel like this is something that a lot of people don't even talk about much. Gender really... Can define your life course depending on what country you're born in depending on what family you're born in depending on what um again what uh financial bracket you're born in and I feel like for sure she definitely faced a lot of things because of her gender because again you know she was sexually abused and people didn't believe her because she was a young woman and oh well well you're a woman anyway and who's gonna believe you and you know um you were probably tempting the man to to molest you, and it, it like these are these like really foreign concepts to us now here in the U S. But these are very real things that still go on, go on here in this country, and it it uh, quite honestly makes me sick. And I think that's something that's not even changed much from her time to now. I think maybe women are being heard more, but at the same time, we still have so much more steps to take in the right direction for women's rights and women in general, like I mentioned, I am a feminist. And so I think one huge social determinant of health is gender, because it it dictates whether or not you're going to (laughs) die at certain points in time. It dictates whether or not you're going to have an education. It dictates um, whether or not you're forced into marriage. It dictates whether or not you're forced into like sex trafficking and things like that at certain times. It's I feel like people don't realize like gender is a very, very big social determinant of health. And I wish um, and I hope to do this with my public health work. I hope to bring more attention to that. And I hope to actually educate people on gender equality. And, you know, just because I'm a woman and I'm different from you doesn't mean that I'm not worthy of what you have if you're a man. And then that leads me to another source. We do not know enough about how gender relations have been changing over the past few decades. And this complicates the task of tracing links between health and gender. And again, I feel like that goes back into what I said and that this source is from Birch et al. Or, yeah, Birch et al. And I just think that's a very true statement. I feel that, again, you know, just the phrase in and of itself just lets me know that we are not talking about gender enough in terms of the social determinants of health. And that's one thing I really do want to change with my public health degree. And um, so I think in general, like gender and socioeconomic status were definitely incremental and impacted Miss Deanna's life for sure. First of all, being told you're a woman, being sexually abused and being held down because of speaking your truth and because of wanting to do better for yourself and also living in a household where people weren't educated enough to where you can even have a, a bathroom or running water is just it's it's crazy to me and I think in general her being a woman and actually being able to experience a women's movement and actually getting her daughter birth control which my mom didn't even want to do for me is just incredible as well and I think that just goes to show like how much of an impact history has had on her life you know she was born again poor sexually abused Was encouraged not to go to college. She was not encouraged to go to college at all. She didn't get any support through college by her family, but she made it through despite that. You know, she actually really turned those negative experiences into positive ones because here she is, someone who's made an impact on not only my life, but so many lives in Aurora and Denver in general. She's really a special person. And I think in general, just the history that she's gone through, the experiences that she's gone through, her social determinants of health, although she's not the healthiest now, I think for sure it's... She... It's... I'm trying to find the words. I'm sorry, I'm rambling. Um, it's, It's really unique. And I think that goes to show what the class is about anyway is everyone has a unique experience and we all have different social determinants that can impact our health and our livelihood and our lives in general and i think she's definitely not far from that at all i think it's really quite incredible and i'm so happy that i was able to do this assignment because i got to know a lot more about her in general and it's her stories are so interesting so thank you i appreciate you um actually going through and assigning this project for us students and it's it's absolutely wonderful and um essentially the questions i asked during the interview or what was mentioned in the rubric I just didn't stray far from it and I didn't stray far from it because I know Miss Deanna and she can talk and we talked for hours and (laughs) I just didn't want to ask her anything else because I was like I'm going to come up with so many questions and she's going to talk forever and so I just to be respectful of my time and hers that's kind of what I stuck to and I feel like the questions that I asked were very successful in getting the information that I wanted. And if I were to do another interview, I would definitely ask the questions differently. I feel like I could have asked like more unique questions, but I was just in the moment and listening to her and I soak up every word that she says because she's just so much fun and she's so sweet. So it's really hard for me to kind of think at times because she always keeps me on my toes. And one interviewing protocol challenge I had was Ooh, actually sticking to the questions that I asked just because like I said we always talk like I talked to her a lot actually she was so sweet to send me flowers for my birthday because I was talking about my birthday and I just check in on her all the time I cooked her dinner earlier this year before COVID and um, I think that's like the hardest thing is sticking to questions with her because we just like go off on different tangents and it's hard to really like focus and stay in the moment with like the specific topics at hand and so I think one new insight I have is that you know although I definitely respect her and her opinion and who she is as a person and her beautiful bubbly personality I do need to tighten up and actually make sure that once I'm interviewing someone and asking specific questions that I stick to those questions and then I make sure that I'm following the protocol that I set for myself. And any new insights that I've had from this are from this and doing high quality research. Again, the same thing. I, I'm i such a talkative person. So I think for sure what I need to do is not come from the point of being a, a person, but being an interviewer, actually being a journalist, stepping into journalist's shoes and asking the hard questions and not injecting myself into what I'm asking and conversating throughout the way. So, um that is my that's my essay and um I hope you enjoyed it. I'm sorry this is half an hour long and I rambled a lot, but I just um I hope that this really shows more of who I am as a student and a person and I hope you got to know more about me in general and I think Miss Deanna was such a wonderful person to interview for this assignment. She is genuinely such an amazing person and I'm so happy that I was able to do that and connect with her more and so thank you again for assigning this because it really made a difference for me and for her. Thank you.